0: I don't have to tell you how popular the butt is as a body part. I mean, there are songs about them. There are leggings specially adorned for them. There are exercises you can do to make them bigger and rounder and out there. The easiest evidence to find is on the unfortunate Instagram hashtag, Belfie. That's short for butt selfie, if you haven't been acquainted. This is a trend where women it's almost entirely women, take a picture of their backside, whether that's in leggings or a bikini or a tight pair of jeans. There are nearly 400,000 of these images on Instagram. It's a popular style. And while you hear people admire men's butts from time to time, it's not with the fervor society has for women's butts. A woman's butt is the lower half of the classic hourglass figure, after all, And there seems to be something primal about the attraction to that silhouette. So today, we're gonna find out why humans love butts, why our butts are so big, and what exactly makes women's butts the apple of our eyes, or peach of our eyes, more appropriately. I'm Ashley Hamer, and this is Taboo Science, the show that answers the questions you're not allowed to ask. But is unique in the natural world. Forget things like language and tool use. Our booty is what sets us apart from the animals. Humans have the biggest butts in the animal kingdom. Our primate cousins don't even come close. Scientists think that's all thanks to the fact that we walk upright. See, in both humans and non human primates, the butt is made up of three muscles the gluteus maximus, the gluteus medius, and the gluteus minimus. Kind of a Goldilocks and the Three Bears situation. In humans, the gluteus maximus is the papa bear. It's big and thick. It mostly handles thigh extension. Stuff like rising from a sitting position, climbing, or running. In primates, that muscle is way smaller. It doesn't even connect to the same bones. Our gluteus maximus runs from the top of the pelvis to the upper thigh bone. The primate gluteus maximus starts at the ischium, or sit bone, the part of your butt that hurts on a long bike ride. It's smaller and less powerful. And as a result, non-human primates can stand upright, but not for long. This mini gluteus maximus also, obviously, gives non-human primates less of a big round booty than the one that humans have. The ability to stand upright is a fundamental difference between us and our primate cousins. Scientists aren't sure what exactly led our ancestors to stop walking on all fours. Maybe they started by trying to reach higher in trees when they foraged. Maybe they wanted to shield their backs from the sun or see further over tall vegetation or keep their hands free to hold food or babies while they traveled. But whatever it was, we got up on two legs and our butts changed as a result. We got junk in our proverbial trunks and the world was never the same again. Of course, muscle isn't the only thing that makes our booties so juicy. Fat is a big player too. Humans are also the fattiest primates. And again, while we aren't sure why, some think we need to store a lot of fat to fuel our big brains. And when it comes to butt fat, Women are the reigning champions. They store more fat in their butts, hips, and thighs than men do. In fact, that's another trait that's unique to humans. The way that fat distribution is different between men and women. No other animal does that. Women's butts are also the ones that get the lion's share of the attention. In advertisements, in music videos, in workout routines, in clothing designs with lettering across the backside and zero pockets to be found. Sure, you'll hear people talk about men's butts, but it's not nearly to the same degree as
1: women's. Why is that? Women's bodies are really linked to their reproductive success in a way that is not the case for men's body. That's Jean
0: Beauvais. She's a senior lecturer at Northumbria University in Newcastle.
1: Just because we have to, we have to carry the baby and there's pregnancy and there's breastfeeding and all of that is really demanding for, for the body. So in a way, the body before your pregnancy is going to affect the way the pregnancy is going to go. It's going to affect the baby and the children later with breastfeeding and everything. And of course, having a baby and a pregnancy is going to affect your body in return. So you have a really close relationship between bodies and reproduction in women, a bit less in men. And so that's why scientists, thinks that men are really uh, focusing on women's body, a bit more than women can focus on men's body.
0: In her work, Dr. Beauvais has been trying to untangle what exactly we're attracted to when it comes to the objects of our desire. Those kinds of questions are really important to evolutionary biologists, for a pretty huge reason. I was trained as
1: a biologist, and made choice is always something really fascinating in animals and something really important for evolution because that's a way selection is happening when you choose a specific mate. Evolution
0: happens through reproduction. Reproduction of babies, sure, but especially reproduction of genes. Like, the best genetic trait in the universe isn't worth much if you never find a mate and pass that trait on to your offspring. And the mate you choose will put half of their genes into your offspring, which makes mate choice a really big deal in the evolutionary scheme of things. More attractive mates are more likely to be chosen to have offspring, which means the genes that code for traits that make an individual more attractive as a mate are likely to spread throughout the population. So finding out what those traits are is super important for scientists studying evolution, human
1: evolution included. So I'm working on many shows, but mostly on physical attractiveness. And I think it's just also the fact that physical attractiveness is so important in our lives. Too important, I would say. It's a source of anxiety when we are teenagers or even before. It can affect a lot of things in our lives. And I was like, why? <laughs> why is it so important? And why do people care so much? And I think I was never really completely satisfied with the usual answer which is well you know it's the media and society which want that we care about uh, physical appearance but for me it was just asking other questions like so why do the media care about physical appearance in the first place and why do they represent only certain type of bodies so that's why i think some the studies in psychology and, and with an evolutionary perspective are helping me a bit to answer these questions.
0: You might not be surprised to learn that there aren't a whole lot of studies about our attraction to butts specifically. It's more about what's around the butt, how the butt fits in with the overall picture. The way scientists like Dr. Beauvais measure it is with the waist-to-hip ratio, A low waist to hip ratio is that classic itty bitty waist and around thing in your face, to quote Sir Mix-a-Lot. The higher the ratio, the less difference there is between the circumference of the waist and the circumference of the hips and butt. I constantly get this confused, so my rule of thumb is that a low waist to hip ratio means a low waist measurement and vice versa. But what is it about a low waist to hip ratio that makes
1: a woman attractive? In the literature, you often find like really general statements or vague statements. So a low waste pressure is a sign of good health or it's a sign of fertility. And uh, it's not totally wrong but it's not clear enough, let's put it that way. So the waste pressure is linked to really important characteristics, but they are not really mysterious. Number one, it's a sign that she's a woman. Because uh, women and men have really different waist weight pressure. So this is an important information when you choose a mate.
0: Number two, it's a sign that she's of childbearing
1: age. So the waist weight pressure changes with, with time. It's high when you're a kid, and then it's decreasing. And then it's going to increase again with age. Number three, it's a sign of pregnancy status. So if you're currently pregnant, you will have a high waste 3 ratio.
0: And finally, it's a sign of how many kids she's
1: already had. The more pregnancies you had in the past, the higher will be your waste 3 ratio. And so these characteristics are going to influence your reproductive potential. So if you had 10 children in the past, you will have a different fertility than you you had none or one, one kid. And of course, age is going to influence a lot if you're going to be able to get pregnant really quickly and the risks linked to pregnancy and things like that.
0: A lot of this is directly tied to the extra fat a woman carries on her butt and hips. Big butts make better babies.
1: There is um, a hypothesis that the more fat you will have around the hips, the better the baby is going to develop. There is definitely something specific about the fat in the hip region. And it's used during pregnancy and during breastfeeding, more than the fat in other parts of the body. And this is why, after several pregnancies, you have a different waste to appreciate It's one of the reasons, you have other reasons. like The, the effect on the muscles and the effect of the hormones, et cetera. but in part it's because the baby is using this fat when it's growing and when you breastfeed the baby. And it seems that there is preliminary evidence that it's really used uh, for the brain. It, theoretically, it sounds great and it makes sense because it's uterine pregnancy, etc. We don't have a lot of data to measure it, but uh, it's a promising hypothesis.
0: Now, of course, it's not true that all people attracted to women like the same types of bodies, much less the same types of butts. But that's why waist-to-hip ratio is such a handy measurement tool its ideal doesn't seem to change that much from culture to culture or from time period to time period, even if other metrics like body mass index or body fat percentage do. It does vary a little bit. Some studies suggest that men in harsher environments prefer women with a higher waist-to-hip ratio, and that's possibly because in those circumstances, a mate that can acquire more resources is more important than one that can have more babies. But when it comes to the question of universal preferences as a whole, the evidence is kind of all over the place.
1: Uh, so people used to look at the preferences across countries, and the results are, um, are mixed. You have some preferences that are relatively universal, like, for example, preference for a relatively young or youngish body or healthy body. And those are preferences that are varying a lot between countries. And we pressure, there were like studies showing that men have like similar preferences across countries. And other studies saying no look like these countries prefer like really lower Western three than other countries. So we decided to look at the universality of uh, men's preferences according to time. So across time and not across countries. But of course you cannot ask uh, a dead men from uh, 300 years ago to tell us about their preferences So instead,
0: they did something pretty ingenious. They looked at art pieces through time. So paintings and sculptures of women who are supposed to be beautiful. To make sure they knew the subject was supposed to be beautiful, they stuck to classic symbols of beauty. Characters from mythology whose whole thing is being
1: beautiful. So basically like Venus, the goddess of beauty. We guess that the artists wanted to represent a beautiful woman when they, they were depicting uh, Venice.
0: They used 160 paintings and 56 sculptures representing women from 500 B.C. to present day. That's nearly 2,500 years — well, 1,500 years.
1: Then you have basically 1,000 years without any woman depicted naked uh, in paintings or sculptures because it was forbidden by the church. I'm I'm talking about the Western world, uh, of course, because we wanted to have the same uh, topic, Venus and Aphrodite.
0: But still, through all that time, the waist-to-hip ratio of the most beautiful women depicted in art, it didn't really change.
1: And what we found is that during antiquity, the waist-to-hip ratio depicted was relatively uh, stable. It was not changing that much. And when it when starts again, we can see that the waist-to-hip ratio depicted is decreasing uh, a bit. So toward a more feminine waist-to-hip uh, ratio until today, yes. So you have some variation according to time, although it's always a relatively feminine waist-to-hip ratio. It's never really, really high. The
0: waist-to-hip ratio of the subjects in these pieces never went above the current medical recommendation. So even when the ratio was on the high end, it was still what modern medicine considers healthy. But like I said, waist to hip ratio is a lot different than something like body mass index, which has its own effects on the derriere. That does seem to change with time and place, and Dr. Beauvais hopes to study that
1: too. But what we know when we look at different countries is that the preferences for uh, body mass index, for example, is quite viable. So I won't be surprised to see that actually uh, women depicted across time have uh, a wider range of body size than compared to the weight ratio. I'm expecting to see more variation and variation according to time, About that, yes.
0: But there's a dark side to our love of the booty. I quoted Sir Mix a lot a second ago because he's got one of the most famous songs about butts there is, Baby Got Back. And when you get right down to it, that song was all about how 1990s fashion held up white women with flat butts as icons, leaving women of color, who tend to be curvier than their white counterparts, out in the cold. This was not new. See, there's a long history of Europeans both fearing and fetishizing the figures of women of color. As white European colonizers traveled to new places in the world, they encountered new places and people— and quickly came up with their own classifications for them. Usually, they classified the people they encountered by their visual characteristics, including the butt. They considered the large butts of African people as signs of an underlying animal or sexual nature, which became one of many things they used as a justification for enslaving them. Europeans even came up with a medical diagnosis for curvy African women, steatopegia, which is defined as an excessive accumulation of fat around the buttocks. It was considered a terrible, debilitating condition, despite the fact that big butts were actually fashionable for European women at the time. The poster child for Europe's kinda creepy fascination with the bodies of African women was Sadiki Sarah Bartman, also known as the Hottentot Venus. She was kidnapped from her home in southwestern Africa by Dutch colonists and paraded as a sort of sideshow freak or circus animal and attracted crowds curious to see her large backside. When she died in 1815 at the age of 26, her body was dissected and written up in a book about mammals of the world. She was the book's only human subject. The way she was treated, both in life and in death, was truly shocking it shows that even if certain human preferences are universal, dignity and respect are only afforded to some. All right, I've spent a lot of time talking about women's butts. But all that doesn't mean that men's butts don't matter. I mean, you can find plenty of man butts in movies and TV shows. Magic Mike is basically an entire movie about men's butts and the women who love them. But I would argue that people appreciate a man's butt in context. That is, if he's fit and muscular everywhere else, his butt will be too. There's a difference between a flexing bicep and a rippling glute, but I'd argue that difference more comes down to social dynamics. When you look at someone's butt, they usually don't know you're looking. And that makes it different. I asked Dr. Beauvais about my theory. That is, maybe the male butt is a
1: signal of his physical fitness. I'm really speculating right now, but I guess if it's different muscles, it's going to be linked to different abilities. And so maybe in some cases, it's more useful to have um, muscles in the lower body parts or in the upper body parts, depending on what you need to do on a daily basis. So you will have to look at what kind of tasks uh, you need in the environment, I would say.
0: Another theory out there is that the shape of a man's body is directly linked to his testosterone levels. When a cis woman goes through puberty or a trans woman takes estrogen, those so-called female hormones send extra fat to her butt, hips, and thighs. But testosterone has a different effect on men. They actually lose fat on their butts and redistribute it to their stomach and shoulders. So for men, a small, lean butt is actually a signal that he's got high testosterone levels. And studies show that heterosexual women are more attracted to men with a higher waist-to-hip ratio of roughly one-to-one. But still, testosterone levels only tell you so much.
1: But again, it's going to be, it would probably be more efficient for other people to just look at the outcome of what the men are able to do than to look at the body which you cannot really do with a female body because it's an outcome that never really happened. It's going to be the future outcome of the pregnancy. So, yeah, there are more direct ways to look at what matters for male mate, I would say, than the body.
0: In other words, it's not about what his body looks like. It's about what he can do with it. Makes sense. So it turns out that not all butts are created equal. Women's butts send an evolutionary signal about their ability to have babies. Men's butts? Eh, Not so much. Thanks for listening. Taboo Science is written and produced by me, Ashley Hamer. The theme was by Danny Lepotka of DLC Music. Big thanks to Jean Beauvais. You can find links to her other research, along with a transcript of this episode, in the show notes. This is the final episode in Season 2. We did it! (laughs) As a result, I'm going to take a nice long break. So this is the perfect time to let me know what you think in a review on Apple Podcasts or in an email. You could just drop me a line at ashley at And make sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss season three. Catch you next time.